Good morning, church. I'd like to begin by saying that all of us have a, powerful, uh, have a powerful story of how we got to where we are at this very moment. And today I'd like to share a few powerful stories that truly show the power of God, but first let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for bringing us all here to PMC. Um, thank you for all that you've done for us. Please help us to learn more about you. Please hide me behind your bloodstained cross. And please help your message to go to those who need it, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so before I was born, my parents and both of my siblings lived in the country of Kenya in, in Africa, where they were born and raised. In 2000, my parents made the decision to come to America, even though they were already professionals in their fields. My dad worked for the church, and my mom worked for the government. There were many factors motivating them to do so, and one of the biggest was their education. So they, just, so they went through this long process of getting their papers, being interviewed, paying a good amount of money for visas, waiting to get approved, getting shots, saying bye to family, friends, and all of these other things they cared about. So they, and then they got on a plane, get to a place that they perceived would be the land of opportunity. And once they landed, they eventually got to this campus and realized to their astonishment that adjusting to this new experience was not going to be a simple task. In fact, when they first got here, due to a small clerical error, some of my dad's papers were actually misplaced and sent to the wrong location, which almost meant that he would have to go back. But through much prayer and through crying out to God, eventually it was all corrected and they were still able to stay. But based on what they had heard about America, they thought getting professional jobs in their lines would be relatively easy. They tried really hard to get reasonable jobs, but to no avail. So they prayed and they searched and they cried out to God and they kept on praying. And as frustrating was setting in, they even started to second guess their decision to come to America. They began to wonder just how they would continue to feed their two young children, my siblings who were aged three and six at the time. And they decided, finally, that they would humbly do whatever work became available. So, my dad got a factory job, which involved standing for long hours. But there was one problem. You see, this factory work was from Monday to Saturday. And as an Adventist, my dad simply could not do that. The Sabbath was not an option for him. So he talked to his new employer about this Sabbath issue, and he was offered a solution. My dad was required to provide a letter from a church saying that he was an, a Seventh-day Adventist and therefore could not work on Saturday. So while this is happening, keep in mind that he's being told this information on Wednesday, and the deadline was going to be the next Monday. All right, so being, small to this small, being new to this small town, who would vouch for him? He went to the leadership of a smaller church, but because they didn't really know who he was, they weren't too comfortable writing the letter. But time was moving. Again, this was Wednesday, and the deadline was Monday. So after much prayer, after much supplication, after crying out to God, he decided to take a big leap of faith and went to a larger church, a much larger church, this church. And when he got to this church, even though he was definitely, de definitely a little anxious, actually pretty anxious, he went in, he found Pastor Dwight's administrative assistant, and he poured out his story and explained his predicament. 
And to his amazement, in just moments, he pulled out a pre-made letter, asked for his name, and got Pastor Dwight's signature. He was then able to give this letter to his employer and was excused from Sabbath work. And soon afterwards, my mom was also able to get a job, and in this new country where they didn't know too many people, they were still able to take care of their family. The God who sees us saw them in their time of need and stepped in to help them. I got the phrase, the God who sees us, from Genesis chapter 16, verses 13 to 14, where Hagar, Sarai's slave, before she became Sarah, Sarai's slave, had just run from Sarai, Abram's wife, who had mistreated her to the point where she had to run away. She was in the middle of the desert wilderness when an angel appeared to her and told her that God was going to bless her. When she was at her lowest, God stepped in and helped her, and in response, she cried out, El Roy, meaning you are the God who sees me. But while I could talk more about this encounter, today our focus is going to be on Daniel. So Daniel, historians place his age at about 17, which is around my age, when he was taken as a captive from his homeland by the army of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Many of his family and friends were killed, his homeland was trashed, and his people shamed. So after all of this, the young boy was put in a forced migration to Babylon, a distance of about 1,678.2 miles from his home. And unlike my family who migrated willingly, Daniel and his friends were taken against their will. Even after all he had been through, once he and his fellow captives got to Babylon, there were some major complications he had to face with God's help. And when Daniel got to Babylon, he was in for a big surprise. He arrived and immediately faced challenges towards his culture and his faith. First, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 7, he was given a new name. His name, Daniel, meant God is my judge. But he was given a new name, Belteshazzar, meaning protect the life of the king. Now, this was so huge and so massive because it wasn't only stripping away a name, the name that he had been called for 17 years prior, the name that his friends called him, the name that his parents called him. But it was, it was an attempt to take away his past, not only his Hebrew culture, but his faith, and to question who his allegiance really was to. And this was a challenge as to, as to who, he, who he was committed to, and he was born with this name that his parents gave him. And they gave him this name, Daniel, because they wanted to commit him to God. And whenever someone would call his name, he would remember that God was his protector. But now, it seems like in this new land, his, his focuses were being, were, his, his allegiances were, it, it was an attempt to change his allegiance to the king as opposed to God. But this was just the beginning of his challenges. In Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, it says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were trained for three years, and after that, they were able to enter the king's service. 
So he was basically in an, an extremely intensified Babylonian culture seminar where he had to learn absolutely everything he could about Babylon. That meant Babylonian culture, Babylonian language, Babylonian food, Babylonian, Babylonian everything. But the one line that Daniel and his friends really couldn't cross was, was that of the food. Because the king's food, not only was it not healthy, but God had like, told his people not to eat that food. And not only because of the type of food in it, but also because it was being likely offered to foreign pagan gods. But Daniel and his friends did something crazy. They prayed for God's strength and asked the person in charge to let them eat healthy food that wasn't defiled. And by God's grace, their prayer was answered. And in the end, Daniel and his three friends were shown to be healthier, stronger, and wiser than anyone else who ate the royal food. The God who sees us enabled Daniel and his three friends to stand for the right. And once again, he did not just see them, but in Daniel chapter 1, verse 20, we learned that God made them ten times better than all the other wise men. All right, so back to my family. In 2003, about three years after they made the decision to come to America, I was born. What I was shielded from as a child was just how hard my parents had to work. Adjusting to this new culture was extremely difficult. And to just give you a taste of it, they needed help with their education while they were working, help with their kids, and help with their finances. In fact, my mom tells me of a time when she needed to buy a loaf of bread from Apple Valley, but all she had were the coins in her pocket, and they just barely got her by to get that one loaf of bread. And they also needed help with every other concern they had. But through it all, they would get on their knees and cry to the God who saw them for help. They would commit their cares to God, and slowly by slowly, the God who saw them came through and continues to come through for them. So going back to Daniel, he had gone through so much and faced so many challenges that the people, that most people in his situation would probably just give up to, to, and give in. But you can imagine Daniel and his friend's shock when in Daniel chapter 2, verse 13, soldiers were sent, were sent to Daniel and his friends to kill them. Why? Because the king had a dream, he forgot the dream, and now he wanted someone else to tell him that dream and interpret the dream. Which, which is crazy because even me getting out of bed, almost immediately I forgot the dream that I just dreamt. So this was definitely a lot. And Daniel, Daniel and his friends were considered to be wise men. And if no wise man was able to tell the king his dream and what it meant, then all of the wise men would be killed. Every last one of them. But Daniel and his friends knew the God who sees us all and they took the matter to him. The Lord allowed Daniel to see that dream and also get its interpretation. They were delivered from yet another impossible situation. In another instance, when Daniel wasn't even there, his three friends, a story that many of us know very well, his three friends were faced with another situation. They, the king put up this massive statue, massive golden image of him, and, and, they, and all of these important people were, were supposed to bow down to it. But when the music played, when they were supposed to bow down, Daniel's three friends decided to continue standing because they couldn't do that. And when they were called to the king, who was confused that they would do this, he said, do you think there is any God who can save you? 
Then in verses 16 to 18, they answered, Your majesty, we will not defend ourselves. If the God whom we serve is able to save us from the blazing furnace and from your power, then he will. But even if he doesn't, your majesty, may we may be sure that we will not worship your God and will not bow down to your gold statue that you have set up. You see, you see they knew the God who saw them. And that that God not only answered them, but stood in the flames with them. So there was another massive challenge that Daniel faced in what may be considered the climax of his life, where he showed everyone who had his allegiance. Would it be the God of his childhood? Daniel, the God who was his only true judge? Or would it be the king who gave him the name Belteshazzar, the king who he was destined to protect? This challenge came in the form of a horrible law made to silence Daniel. Daniel was put in charge of all the governors in Babylon by Darius, the new Persian king. And they became jealous of his power and just how fair he was. And they plotted against him. But they couldn't find anything to accuse him of. In fact, in Daniel chapter 6, verse 5, they said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So they flattered the king and got him to pass a new law, a law that would prohibit anyone from worshiping anyone or anything other than the king. Then they made a cruel punishment. So if you prayed to anyone other than the king, you would be sent to the den of lions. But of course, Daniel prayed three times a day with his window open, and just as the princes had hoped, they caught Daniel praying to his God with his windows open even after the evil law was passed. But because he had to follow the law, the king followed through and sent Daniel, who had become his friend, to the lion's den. And everyone thought he would be eaten without a second thought, but because the king liked Daniel, he decided to check just in case, just absolutely in case, to see if Daniel was alive the next morning. And we, what we learn happens next in Daniel Daniel chapter 6, verses 20 to 23, which says, When he came near the den, he called Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wounds, not even a scratch, was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Daniel prayed to God and trusted in him not only in this instance, but for his whole life. The truly beautiful thing is, when Daniel was being taken from his home, God saw him. When Daniel was being forced to walk nearly 1,700 miles from his home, God saw him. When the Babylonians tried to take Daniel's identity away, God saw him. When Daniel and his friends were put to the test as to what they would eat, God saw him. When Daniel wasn't even there and his friends were faced with the fiery furnace, God saw them. When Daniel was faced with the hungry jaws of lions, God saw him. In fact, not only did God see them in these situations, but he stepped in and helped them. To bring this a little closer to home for me, when my parents decided to come to America, God saw them. When they had to find somewhere to live, God saw them. When they had to feed their family and work, God saw them. When they needed money, God saw them. When they, when they decided to send their kids to an Adventist education, God saw them. In every corner of their lives, there's evidence that God saw them, 
heard them, and has been guiding and protecting them for their whole lives. But what about the rest of us? God's grace doesn't run out. So when we are going through stress, God sees us. When we are studying for a massive exam, God sees us. When our finances are tight, God sees us. When we feel lonely, God sees us. When we feel frustrated, God sees us. When we're so sick, we can't get out of bed, God sees us. And even when it seems as though our lives are turned upside down, God sees us. If we look back on our lives and the lives of those around us, we see that our God is a God who doesn't just see what we go through, but he helps us through it all. We may go through seemingly impossible situations where we don't see a way out, but the God of Daniel is still alive today, and he'll carry us through even the hardest of circumstances. So I want to tell you um, a quick story, a story that I recently shared with my classmates. So when I was younger, about seven years old, I, yeah, when I was younger, about seven years old, I was friends friends. I thought I was friends with this dog, this big, massive dog. It was my neighbor's dog. I thought we were tight whenever I'd go to their house. The, the dog would greet me warmly, and we would play, and I was never scared when I was in this massive dog's presence, even though it was definitely stronger and bigger than I was. But then I went on a trip, a long trip, and I, I didn't I didn't see this dog for months and months and months. And finally, I came back home. And one day, I saw this dog. And I called to it really, really softly. Because I heard if you call dogs really, really softly, they can still hear you. So I tried it out. And the dog looked at me. And the dog started to walk. The walk turned to a run. The run turned to a sprint. And what I thought was going to be a warm embrace was actually the dog apparently didn't recognize me and it attacked me. And don't ask me how, but it bit me on the lip and then somehow smacked me in the face. But ever since then, I've had this um, like horrible fear of dogs, especially large dogs. And for years and years, I had been going through that until finally one day, I decided I don't want to be scared of dogs anymore. Like even though this one thing happened to me, I don't want to be scared of dogs anymore. But it's a process. Because I couldn't just tell myself that and I would just not be afraid of dogs. I had to keep telling myself that every single day, every time I saw a dog, whether it was a big dog or a small dog, I had to keep telling myself that. And I had to go through this process for a long time until the point where I have been so comfortable that recently when I went to one of my siblings' houses, I... There was, there was a dog there, and the dog was walking around the house, and I became friends with this dog, too. And I, I really wish I had a picture, but it's, it, was, it, was, it was amazing. But anyway, while you remain in your seats, I want to ask you a question. This isn't a question where I'm going to ask you to stand up or raise your hand or anything like that. But in your hearts, I want to ask you this simple question. Are you going to accept the God who sees you into your life? Now, I'd like to warn you, this isn't a decision you can make only once. This is a commitment that every day, no matter how difficult, no matter how inconvenient, you're deciding that with God's help, you choose to accept Elroy, the God who sees you, the God who carries you, and the God who restores you into your life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for guiding us and protecting us. And thank you for being Elroy, the God who sees us, even when we don't think you do. And God, thank you for not only seeing us, but for helping us and for guiding us 
through the toughest of situations and for seeing us when we're at our lowest and when we're at our highest, when we're at our saddest and when we're at our happiest. When we're crying, you're there with us and you see us and you help us and you cry along with us. And when we're happy, you're happy along with us. And when we're jumping, you're jumping with us. Thank you, God, for being the God who not only sees us, but helps us, God. Thank you for everything you've done for us one more time. In Jesus' name, amen.